Church, you may be seated. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals. You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people for God, for every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall sing on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the church said, church, the song set we just sang points all to him and him alone, the glory of our Father. And so as we walk through the scriptures this morning, would we keep that in mind, that it is all for him and all for his glory all to Jesus and Jesus alone, the lamb that is worthy to open the scroll that was slain on our behalf. Church, I'd like to welcome you this morning. My name is Braden Rodriguez and I'm the student and 1825 pastor at our Delaware campus. And it is an honor and a privilege to stand before you today. Dean asked about a month ago if I would speak and I realized it was uh, on the heels of camp. So I, uh, if I look really sunburnt, I probably am. And if my voice cracks, that's why. Uh, I'd like to welcome you guests this morning. Uh, guests, if you have a cell phone with you, we have curated a resource just for you. Uh, pull out your phone right now and go to lpguest.com, open up a browser, uh, or you can take out your camera app and scan the QR code in front of you, and that'll bring you to our lpguest.com. And there's so many things that you can find there, but for you guests this morning, I would like to point your attention to the guest information card uh, that is there. If you would click on that guest information button and fill out some information, I promise we're not signing you up for an email chain, but what you're signing up for is just saying, hey, here's what I'm interested in, and I'd like more information. Information, and we would love to get to know you and learn how to serve you the best and give you the information that you need. And so please go there this morning. And once you get to the end of that, it takes just a few seconds to fill out. There's a portion uh, that has some ministries that we partner with. And you can pick one of those ministries. And what we'll do is we'll donate $5 in your honor, no strings attached, just for saying thank you for being here with us this morning at LifePoint. Again, I said, my name is Brayden, and I know some of you, I don't know all of you. Uh, I'm, I'm married and have two kids, and I actually brought a picture of them this morning. We just got some family sessions done. That's my wife, Hannah, and then I have twin daughters. They're uh, about a one, one and a half. My wife is holding Naomi, and my daughter, Rowan, is the one mean mugging the camera. Uh, she's too much like her dad, uh, always just kind of angry. And here's the reality. Um, this is what the majority of those pictures look like that morning, by the way. Uh, it's just kind of crazy to get them all together. I know that everybody loves to post pictures on Facebook that are, uh, you know, all put together. But I just wanted to show you that uh, this is 99% of the time, I feel like, for us. So um, it's good to get to know you this morning. Please come and talk to me afterwards if you have questions about anything students, college-related, or anything else. I'd love to try to answer as many questions for you as possible. But... If you are a guest with us here this morning, or maybe you've been out on vacation and, and you don't know quite where we are this morning, we're continuing in our series called Labels, and we've been walking through the book of Luke for the last uh, two and a half months now. We started in the month of May, uh, and as a church, we read through the book of Luke together, 
And then in the month of June, we prayed through the book of Luke. We prayed through uh, particularly Luke 10.2. Some of you probably still have your alarms set for 10.02 every day, and it scares you probably just as much as it scares me when it goes off uh, in the middle of a meeting or something like that. And what we did was we prayed through this verse in Luke 10.2 that we would pray to the God of the harvest to bring more laborers in. Why? Because the, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. And so we prayed to the God of the harvest that he would bring more laborers alongside of us. And then now this month, we've been focusing uh, on sharing, right? So read, pray, and share. Who is the one person in your life that you can take everything that you've read, everything that you've prayed through, and now take and share with? Is it a spouse? Is it a coworker? Is it a child? Is it a neighbor? Who's your one? that you can share the gospel with, that you can share this theme with. The theme that we've had over the last few months is this, is that the gospel calls us to a life above labels. The gospel calls us to a life above labels. All through the book of Luke, we've seen this theme that Jesus will take the marginalized and make them unmarginalized. What do I mean by that? That Jesus has this reputation of people coming to him that are called disreputable women leper, sinner, tax collector, and they're labeled negatively by the culture. And Jesus takes that and pulls the label off. He unmarginalizes them and calls them now son and daughter. And most of the time in the passages that we've looked at, it ends with someone glorifying God and someone coming to know God in a real way for the first time. And that's where we've been at, and this is where we will uh, kind of sit and be this morning uh, in Luke chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and go there. I would love to hear the holy ruffle of pages. If not, you can pull out your phone, and I'd love to see the holy glow of the Bible app shine upon your face this morning. Luke chapter 16, let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you. As we sang this morning, it is all to you and you alone. Father, as we read through the text this morning, would you uh, give us peace and heart? God, would you begin to till up the soil? God, remove the weeds and the rocks that need to be taken away. And Father, would you make good soil in our hearts? And God, would the implanted word produce 30, 60, and 100 fold as your word promises? We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19 through 31. We'll read the entire text before we begin this morning. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the poor man died and was carried by the angels to the Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good, de- uh, your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all of this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. 
And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Verse 31, and he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Before we begin to break down the text and before we get into the context here, if you're a note taker or if you are curious, what's the one thing I should take away this morning? What's the one thing I should write down? Write this. God knows you and your heart. I think that's the main point of the text, main point of the sermon this morning. God knows you and your heart. And your knowing of God affects your eternal label, informs your eternal label. We'll say that again. God knows you and your heart and your knowing of God, your personal relationship with God or the lack thereof is what will inform your eternal label. What it will inform is what eternity looks like. And we see that a little bit here in the text. Let's take a step back for just a moment because we start in verse 19. This is a parable spoken by Jesus. It seems almost like an Old Testament passage, right? You've got Abraham, you've got all this stuff going on, but this is actually Jesus telling a story. And if we take a few steps back and we look at the greater narrative of where Jesus is right now in his ministry and where he is in Luke chapter 16, we'll find that Jesus is in the last year of his life that that was marked by the feeding of the 5,000, the Passover before the one where he will go to the cross. And so we know that we are somewhere in the last year of Jesus's life. And in just a few chapters, we will see that Jesus will go to the cross in Luke chapter 19, that he will make his triumphal entry. And that is the last week of his life. And here in verse, uh, in chapter 16, 17, 18, we see Jesus begins to move around a lot. So for all intents and purposes, Jesus is probably in the last like 12 to nine weeks of his life as he begins to make some of these statements, as he begins to near the cross. And so we see that Jesus begins to have these conversations uh, more and more often with the Pharisees and they seem to get a little bit more and more serious. The conversation at hand is with some Pharisees. If we back up to verse 14, it says, to Pharisees who who are lovers of much money, some Pharisees who have become very greedy in their lives. And Jesus would look at them because of their love of money. In verse 15, he would say, God knows your heart. And God knows your heart about two different things. One, you're greedy. And two, you're lustful. Because then Jesus would go not only to hit money, he would hit divorce with these Pharisees. And so he's saying, God knows your heart. And he starts to begin to tackle two really big problems for them. It is that their hearts are far from God, and yet on the outside, they look like they are very near. They're greedy and they're lustful. And I think many of us in this morning today would say, yes. So often, especially here in America, especially for men, I know for myself that greed and lust are probably the two major things that we struggle with. And not just men alone, women are not exempt from this either. The culture says, get more, get more, get more. And that is no exception when it comes to a spouse or a significant other. Well, I don't like you, so I'll just push you aside and and I'll grab someone else. For the lust of my heart, I will take someone else. And so Jesus looks at them and begins to hit these really big problems. And that's when we get to verse 19. Jesus begins to tell this parable, this story, and he says, there was a rich man 
right? He lived sumptuously. He lived lavishly. He had all of this food. He had all of these great things going on for him. And is it wrong to live in lavishness? No. Is it wrong to have nice things, a nice pair of shoes, a nice house? No. But we see that Jesus begins to get behind the heart of it by saying he lives sumptuously. He's just kind of over living. And that's character one. And then character two is we have this poor man, Lazarus, right? He's, he's poor, he's beggar, he's, he's, he's hungry, he's waiting at the gates to pick up the scraps from the table. Not only that, he's got sores all over his body and animals lick over him. And so if we were to stop right there and we were to look at who Jesus is talking to, the Pharisees, the religious, the ones who know the story, they would begin to say, oh, we know this. We know the story. We have a rich man, the hero. The hero of the story is this rich man. Why? Early first century thought would have been that if you have much, God has blessed you much. If you have much, God must love you. God must shine his face upon you. He's rich. He lives sumptuously. He has all these great things. He's overfed. Awesome. This must be the hero of the story. And then you get Lazarus, this poor man, oh, we know the story. This poor man must be saved by this rich man. He sits outside of his gate and begs every day. He's dirty, he's nasty, he's a second-class citizen, maybe even third-class citizen because he's a beggar and he's sick. He's unclean by the cultural and religious standards. He's got leprosy, these sores all over his body. He can't even go into the temple of God. Let's knock him down to class four. Let's knock him down even more. He's dirty. He's unclean before God. And moreover, it says that the dogs lick his wounds. And I know what you dog lovers are thinking. Dogs' mouths are cleaner than human mouths. It's still gross. I'm sorry. It's nasty. I mean, I have a dog, right? Take a nap. He comes licks you on the face to wake up. Like, that's gross, all right? And here this man is sick, and he's hungry, and his only consolation is this that the dogs lick him over on his wounds. Let's take him down even another peg. This man is labeled deeply on every level in his culture. And in every level in this society, it is screaming, oh, he must be saved. This rich man must be the one who to save him, this poor man, Lazarus. Though the Pharisee may think they know the story, something confusing happens. Rich man only gets titled rich man. Poor man gets a name, Lazarus. One, it's weird for the fact of most of the times in parables, people don't get names. They're these kind of general stories that reflect this heavenly meaning. And so here, as Jesus tells this story, the confusing thing is, is that he gives someone a name but he names the wrong character, or at least that's what the Pharisees would think, right? He's named the wrong character. How come the rich man doesn't get this name? Why the poor man? I love the way commentators talk about this passage and talk about how this man gets his name. It begins to show the character and nature of Jesus for us. That the character and nature of Jesus, God in flesh, is on display here and that he cares for this man. He cared enough to give him his name, Lazarus. God knows you. He knows your heart, and he cares for you deeply. 
whether you are poor or in plight or you live in much, God knows you and God cares for you. Maybe you are in financial hardship. Maybe you are sick. Maybe you are in just a difficult season of your life. God cares for you. Maybe you're healthy. Maybe you're living in ease. Maybe you're living in financial freedom. God cares. God knows you. The very nature of Jesus, God in flesh, is on display here. We pick up from the rest of the Gospels that Jesus would say things like, I know the amount of hairs that are on your head. Or for me, the ones that keep falling out. Again, you saw the picture, right? A lot of toddlers running around the house, twin girls, keeps daddy stressed out. God knows every number of hairs on your head or the lack thereof. He would say that I know when the sparrows take off or when they fall down or when they're sold for so and so amount of money. How much more is the highest created being in all of eternity cared for? If you don't know who the highest created order in, uh, or highest created creature is in eternity, it's you. That you've been made the pinnacle of God's creation, better than the earth, better than the angels, better than the oceans, the trees, and anything else. God made you and made you specifically. The only thing made in God's image is you. That God would take an active interest in you and care for you. And God knows your name. God knows you. He cares for you. And therefore, he says now, through the apostle Paul, via his word, he says, now take your, or excuse me, Peter, he says, cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. That if you are in hardship, that you can come before a holy God that knows your name and you can cast cares upon him because he takes an active interest in you and so therefore you can do it in the same with good things. It says every good and perfect gift comes from above. Now you can take those things back to God and say thank you. In hard and in good you can come before him. This is the reason the apostle Paul would look back at the church and say I have learned in every season and every way I can be content. Why? Because God knows me and I know him. That if I'm, in if I'm in suffering or I'm in luxury, I'm good. That God cares for me. He knows my name. God knows your name. He knows where you're at. A story briefly about my wife and I. We've been married almost four years now. And uh, about four years ago, before we got married, about six months before, um, I was working in a ministry job that was full-time but paid very little. And, uh, some of you who are married and, and remember being married young can probably attest to that, uh, that you made very little money uh, to start your career. And my wife was still in college, and I remember doing the math. I was like, all right, I have to save this much before so that I can pay my mortgage for a year so that my wife can go to school and do all of these things. And I remember starting working out the budget, right? This is how much it takes to, for gas and for groceries right now. Praise God it wasn't $4 for a gallon of gas back then because we would have been in real bad shape. But, all right, here's how much the utilities are. Here's how much everything is. And I start doing the budgets and the spreadsheet over and over and over. And every time, negative dollars shows up in the red, never in the black. I'm already taking money out of my savings to pay the mortgage the first year. Oh, my gosh. We don't even have enough money to live, let alone anything else. I remember, I remember this moment that I had of just, just sheer disappointment and thinking that I will never be able to buy my wife a birthday gift. I'll never be able to buy her things that she wants. I'll never be able to even take her on a date. 
And I remember coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and just being like, God is provider. God cares for me. God owns all of the things in the world. And yet I've not even come to him. And so I remember in tears praying to God, God, I can't figure it out. The finances aren't, 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 I'm a good math student, God. You've made me this way. It's not gonna work. God, we need more money. God, we need, God, we're not gonna even be able to make it. Fast forward from brokenness. I give it away to him. I cast my cares upon him. We fast forward to, we get married. We go out of town. We come back from our honeymoon and everything begins to settle down. Real life hits and we start, paying bills, and we start doing these things. And I remember those first checks started to come through. Money didn't change. The income didn't change. But what changed was the fact that there was an extra, like, 20 to 40 bucks every pay period and began to think, oh, wow, God, you heard me, that I have enough to do the things that I need, and I have enough to live, and oh, how much you cared that you would even give us just a little bit more, that we could go out with one another, that we can invite students into our home and have uh, pots of spaghetti and tacos for them. And I have a really great story I'd love to tell you later, but we had a never-ending pot of spaghetti one night with like 15 people in our 1,000-square-foot house. Literally like made like a pound of meat and one box of spaghetti, and they ate a lot, right? I remember the first girl, she comes through with a plate as just a huge plate, and it's full. And I was like, oh, no, that is literally the entire pot of spaghetti on her plate. <laughs> and yet... Every kid at that house ate to their full. That God was so faithful and so gracious to us and provided so much for us that we could even begin to bless others. And I don't say all of that to say this is some prosperity gospel, that when you come to know Jesus and when you pray and cast your cares upon him, that you're gonna get some lavish lifestyle, that you're gonna get some Lamborghini in your garage or, or anything like that. But I, what I am saying is that if you lift up your cares before God, he hears you, he knows you, and he will give you what you need, not what you want. Sometimes he will give you that, but he will give you everything you need. And we have been so blessed on the receiving end of a gracious heavenly father. God knows you, he knows your heart and he cares and provides for you. We continue on in the text, verses 22 through 26. Here the story begins to shift. That they would have thought they have known this story and yet the great equalizer of the story comes in. Jesus says they both die. And he says the poor man, Lazarus, goes to eternity, carried away by angels. And then it says that this rich man being carried away to torment, and there's this idea that their eternal positions are fixed. Neither one of them can cross over to the other side. And if you're a Pharisee hearing this story, there was actually, they would have probably thought where the story was going was, here's what's happening. Because there was this traditional story that was shared by rabbis, right? That there is a rich man. And there is a poor man. This is a commonly told story. And what the rich man does is he gives to this poor man and so his heart is fixed to God and he is saved from eternal damnation. That was the traditional rabbinic story that was shared. But Jesus flips the script and says, no, this rich man does no good for this poor man. He does not escape his eternal destination. And rather than doing anything good and rather the presumption would be, oh, he's blessed by God, we see that their hearts are shown here. That the rich man, though rich, 
and looks like everything's good on the outside and his situation must be his label. He must be loved by God. That is not actually the case. And on the flip side, we see the poor man. Oh, we know his story. He's outcast. He doesn't get to know God. It's not it at all. Not always are our life situations the indicators of what our hearts look like. Not always are our life circumstances indicators of what our hearts look like. This is the informing, our label, our knowing of God in our hearts, or the lack thereof is the thing that informs our labels for all of eternity. Do you know him? Do you follow him? This is the reason why we need the gospel. This is the reason why God came out of eternity. Jesus, perfect, says, I'll go. And I'll live a perfect 33 years and I'll fulfill all the law. I'll fulfill all of the prophets. And I will live for them so that I might die for them. That I would bear the weight and the sin of all of their judgment and all of their shame. So that their hearts could be near to our heart, God. That, Father, that I would bring them in, that I would be the propitiation, the atonement for them. I will get on the cross, and I will die, and then I will go to the grave, and I will raise three days later so that they might believe that their hearts might be fixed with us, Father, for all of eternity. This is the reason we get to sing the song, Oh, the power of the cross. Christ came, became sin for us, bore the shame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross, that we get to stand before this holy God in right relationship only if, though, we know him actively. It's not a passive knowledge of this God, not a passive knowledge of this gospel, but one that is very real and active and says, God, I love you, I believe you, I trust you, I know that you died for the sake of my sin and I believe you rose from the dead and I know one day you will come back for your reward and that is every people, every tribe, every nation and every tongue worshiping you for all of eternity. What does eternity look like? For those who don't know God, their hearts fixed against him, those who uh, have chosen rebellion, against the holy God, it is anguish. And I don't say that to scare you, but it is a scary thought to be separated from a holy God. But what is it to know God? What is it to be with him for all of eternity? Imagine the best moment of your life. The kiss of your spouse at the altar, the birth of your children, those are mine. I remember the love and the bliss and, the, and just the sweetness of all of those things. Now imagine that feeling with me imagine the feeling of the best moment of your life and it stretched over a minute you're like man that's sweet now imagine that feeling non-stop an hour then to a week a month a year never ending sheer bliss and love and satisfaction 50 60 years go by it never fades you would beg for the feeling to never end and so is eternity with a holy, loving God that cares and wants you. That you would live in delight and love and satisfaction for the rest of time and beyond time. Eternity with God. Delight, love, and satisfaction in his city that he will make new are all of his children in his house. And it says that there are no more tears and there is no more pain. If you flip to Revelation chapter 22, there talks about streets of gold. There talks about the trees that heal the nations. 
It talks about there will be no light. Why? Because God himself is the light. That we have no need for anything else but him. And we will get to be with him in eternal satisfaction and in his glory forevermore. That is eternity with God. Knowing God in a personal way affects your eternity. And man, how good an eternity it will be if you know him. God knows you, but will you know him? We start to take it home in the last few verses, 27 through 31. We see this rich man, please, Father Abraham, send him back to my family so that they don't have this, this, this moment for all of eternity, this anguish. And he says, Jesus says, hey, they have Moses, the law, and they have the prophets. They know what's to come. They know. And he says, it's good enough. It's good enough for them. If Jesus would look at these Pharisees and say, you've got the law and you've got the prophets, it's good enough to show you salvation. How much more now do we have? We have the New Testament. We've got the rest of the story. That Jesus would look back at these Pharisees and he says, I know your heart and you love much money and you love much women, but here is the deal. You've got the law and the prophets. It's good for teaching you. It's good for salvation. It's to, to read it and know who God really is. It's good for good doctrine. And yet, we as the church only pick it up statistically on Sunday mornings, most of us. Statistical analysis says that one in every, uh, excuse me, one in every five adult Americans, it's not American Christians, just adult Americans, one in every five will read the Bible once or more in their lifetime. You're like, Braden, that's not a bad statistic. Well, imagine who all lives in America. Not just Christians, atheists, Buddhists, Muslims, Jews, Hindu, not just one in every five Christian, one in every five adult Americans. Then you break down that stat, only 11% will read it once in their lifetime. 9% will read it more than once. If we take that statistic into consideration, one in every 10 adults in this room will read through the Bible once or more in their lifetime. That's a scary thought, especially because what Jesus says here, he says, if you read the word, it is good to show you the salvation that you need to be with me for all of eternity. John 5, 39, Jesus would say it this way, all of the scriptures point to me, looking at Pharisees again. And what he's saying is, you've missed it. Church, would we be the church that would actually pick up in the Bible and read it? That we would take Jesus at his word and know that it's good to teach us salvation. Teach us how to be right with God. The Westminster Confession says this, is that we, uh, our chief end, our main purpose in life is to give God his glory and enjoy him forever. What a wonderful thing that we get to give God his glory and enjoy him. And it says in the Westminster Confession right after that, the only way we learn how to do these things are through his written word that teach us. Old and New Testament that would show us how that we glorify God. How do we enjoy him forever? by the proclaiming of his gospel, by having a true relationship with him. If we don't read it, how would we know him? 
I've been all in Revelation this morning. You go look in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. It says this word, blessed are those who read. It's talking about those who are reading the prophecy of Revelation, but it's Holy Scripture. And so we get this idea that the Greek word used for read there is to know, not just read, but to know and to know intimately. It uses this idiom of a Jewish man and woman who are married. That's the context of that word. To know someone so intimately, it's like a marriage. That's what it means to read. So when we read, it's not this, I'm reading for information. I am reading to be intimate and to know him more. He says, no, 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 though. If they, if they see the resurrection from the dead, they'll believe. They may not believe if they read the word, but if they see the one risen from the dead, this poor man, Lazarus, how arrogant is this man? Even into eternity, he says, take him out of eternity and send him back so that my family would know. Jesus would say this, it says, their heart are so fixed against God that even if they saw the resurrection from the dead, they would not believe. We would see if we flip over to the book of John that there is a real man named Lazarus, who's a great friend of Jesus, just a few weeks later from this point would die, die violently to an illness and a sickness. And Jesus does one of the greatest miracles of his earthly ministry. He goes and raises a man from the dead Name Lazarus, mind you. This is no longer a parable. In John, it's real. That the, the parable becomes life. And Lazarus dies. Jesus raises him from the dead. And you know what it says is the response of the Pharisees? If you go read John chapter 11 and 12 for this narrative, it says that some of them believed, but some of them didn't because they loved the praises of man more than they loved the praises of God. Their hearts were so fixed on their lusts and their greeds that they have pulled their hearts so far from God that they would choose not to know him. And moreover, Jesus, just a couple of weeks from Lazarus dying and coming out of the grave, he would die and he would get out of the grave and they still choose not to believe. I ask you this question this morning. Where is your heart? Do you know him? Or is it so set in rebellion against him on greeds and lusts and frustrations and angers or whatever, insert sin, struggle here? Is it set on God or is it set on something else? Praise God, it does not have to stay that way. That the word of God would say that God is the one who can take the heart of stone and turn it to a heart of flesh that it says that today is the day of salvation, that we can know him forever, that our eternal salvation could be made and made good on the promise of Jesus at the cross. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for me this morning? If you would say that you're a Christian in this place today and maybe uh, I talked about something that you may struggle with, I would just ask, would you repent before God would you say, God, my heart needs something changed? God, I, I know you, I know I do, but there are some things that you need to continually pull out of me. Would you choose to know him better and better and better? Maybe, though, today you would say that you're not a Christian. Braden, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I've never heard the gospel I've never even heard that God wants me, that God loves me, that God cares for me, that I am made in his image. I've never even heard these things. But something you've said 
has struck deeply within my heart. I want to know a God that loves me and cares for me. Maybe you have heard the gospel before. And maybe you've been running and running and running. You've chased after greed and lust and every rebellion against God. Would you stop running? Would you let him change your heart today? If you would say you're in that boat today that, man, I just don't know Jesus in a, in a real personal way, and I want to, would you pray something along these lines this morning? It doesn't have to be the exact words, just the sentiment is true. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know I'm in rebellion against you. And God, I know that I need you to bear my sin and to bear my shame. God, I know that I can stand before you forgiven if you just take it. God, I believe that you are Savior. God, I believe that you are Lord. And I confess that, and I believe that you went to the grave and got back up, that I might live. If you prayed something along those lines this morning, or maybe something I've said in this message this morning has, has struck, struck deeply in you and you need to talk with someone, would you go to our Next Steps team? They're out here to my left, your right, on the way out. You can stop in that room. Would you talk to them, especially if you prayed something along those lines this morning? Would you stop? Would you just talk about, hey, I prayed that prayer. I want this, but I just, I don't know what to do next. Hence why we call it Next Steps. They are here to walk alongside you to help you in that process. Church, as we close today, I can't think of a better way to end a service, especially if you just prayed that prayer than to take the Lord's Supper together. If you missed the elements coming in this morning, we're gonna be taking the supper together. There are gonna be some folks standing at the bottom of the risers that you can go back and get the elements from. They're right here and right there. And as you begin to open that, don't take it yet, I'll let you know when. As you're opening and receiving your elements, I'd like to read a passage for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is Paul saying, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in, the un in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. I read you that text before we begin. One, because this is pointing to, to something, is that if you would say you are not a Christian, that you do not believe in Jesus, this is the one thing we would ask that you would not partake in this morning with us. We are so glad you're here. We're so glad that you came to worship with us and hear this message. But if you would say, I do not know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I do not follow Jesus. Please do not take this. This is the right and the privilege of the church. And to be honest, if you were to take it this morning, you would make yourself a liar. That you would say that Jesus died for me. That's what, the, that's what this means. As, as the church, we take it. Jesus died for my salvation. If you've not yet reached salvation, it would make you a liar. And secondly, for those who do know Jesus, it talks about doing this in an unworthy manner. Church, as we do this together, would you, uh, as you take the bread, as you take the cup, would you just pray and repent before a holy God and just say, God, here, 
is where I'm struggling. God, would you forgive me? We'll take the bread and we'll take the cup together now. It talks about this is my body in some places it would say, which is broken for you. So would you take the bread and would you do it in remembrance of him? Would you take and would you eat? And in a like manner, he says, we take the cup. And he would say that this is the blood of the new covenant and a place in, in, the, in the gospels, it would say, poured out for the, the, the sins of many. Just do it in remembrance of him. Would you take and would you drink? Oh, how sweet it is, God, to be in your presence and to hear your word and to remember you until the day that you come back for your people. Thank you that your body would be broken. Thank you that your blood would be shed so that we might be forgiven, that we might be healed. God, that we might have an eternity with you. Father, today I pray that if any did pray before you, God, that they would move into next steps. God, for anyone who is in unrepentant sin, God, would they confess to you and would they confess to someone else that they might be healed. God, we cry to you that you are holy, 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 and that you are worthy of all glory, honor, and power. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.